welcome to the Shore Report. It's episode 112, and I'm Heather Hyde. And I'm Jake Posner. And today we have returning to the podcast, Jessica Linthorne, and she is the Director of Clean Energy Frontier Program at the Nuclear Innovation Institute. And today she is going to talk to us about the economic impact of clean energy. If that isn't a mouthful of a sentence, I don't know what is. Welcome, Jessica. Yeah, and I'm amazed you got it in one take. That's oh, it's amazing. so good to see you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, welcome. It's been a while since we've had you on. And I know that this is a a really newly released report. So I feel like we're getting a bit of a sneak peek, which is always exciting. So can you tell us a little bit about how the report came to be and sort of the things that you were looking to find? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Maybe um, if I can, can I do a quick elevator speech on who the Nuclear Innovation Institute is? I think we'll we'll allow that. Yes. Okay, good. Permitted, (laughs) Permitted, approved? Permission granted. Thank you. You can always edit it out, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, so the Nuclear Innovation Institute, you may have seen our building. We're right next to you guys at the municipal office. We're right next uh, in the former police station, um, 620 Tom Linson. We've got our beautiful Nuclear Innovation Institute logo up on that building. And so we are a independent not-for-profit organization. And the best way to describe it and to understand the, the organization is that there is two sides of the business. So one side around innovation in the nuclear sector, and that's led by Dr. Eric Johnston, my colleague. He's super interesting. If the Shore Report's ever looking to to talk about really smart things, um, technical things, you can talk to Eric. Uh, So Eric leads the nuclear innovation side of the organization um, with his team supporting our founding members. And so the Nuclear Innovation Institute does have founding members um, that are from the nuclear industry. You can see more on our website, of course, uh, to name a few. Of course, we've got Bruce Power, Cameco, BWXT, Kinetrix, ES Fox. Um, so if you go on the website, you can see that full list. And so those members work closely with Eric and his team uh, to find safer, better, more efficient ways uh, to work in the nuclear industry. The other side of the organization is where I sit and a whole bunch of my colleagues And that's the public interest work. And so my program, the Clean Energy Frontier Program, is funded by Bruce County and Bruce Power. And it really is an opportunity to celebrate who we are in Bruce Gray Huron region as the Clean Energy Frontier region. We see lots of opportunity um, with clean energy taking shape, uh, nuclear suppliers relocating to the area, other sources of clean energy, uh, lots of discussion around energy storage, hydrogen, um, small modular reactors, good stuff happening here. So my program's focused on what that looks like from an economic development lens. But then you'll also find on this side of the organization, the public interest side, you'll find the NII Explore program, which of course STEM education for children. You'll find um, new nuclear and net zero partnerships. So that led by my colleague, Chad, Um, really interesting work there. Again, I think you could have a whole bunch of podcasts with (laughs) with my colleagues. Uh, But then you'll also find the Municipal Innovation Council, which you're familiar with, led by Becky Smith. And so she's on this side of the organization as well. Um, Who am I missing? Anyway, lots of good stuff happening in in the public interest side. So that's a bit of an elevator speech on who we are as an organization, which I always find it's helpful to to kind of help um, audience understand, you know, what it is and what what we're doing and, and why it matters. So Back to the clean energy uh, economic impact report. So yeah, Heather, you're right. This is a bit of a sneak peek. Um, It was just earlier this month of March that March 3rd, we shared it with Bruce County Council. Uh, We have also shared this content with the Huron County Council and we've talked to some developers in the area as well. So just starting to roll out the data that really speaks to the economic impact of clean energy. 
And, you know, I preface it because clean energy is, you know, it reduces, lowers emissions. Uh, we're eliminating smog days with clean energy, right? Like if we have this conversation in August, we can all go, oh my gosh, ew, remember when we had all those smog days? Uh, like it truly is cleaning our air. When we produce clean energy, we have cleaner air. Uh, so it's not just about, um, it's not just about money, right? Like I didn't talk about economic impact, but I always go back to the reality and the point of the clean air that we have and the work we're doing towards net zero and climate change. So just really important part. Economic impact though, what an opportunity the clean energy sector has provided uh, to Bruce Gray here on, but also to the province of Ontario. So we know that, you know, Bruce Powers making clean power and providing that to the Ontario grid. Um, and, and that's clean, giving us clean air, but it's also promoting the economic opportunity here and Bruce Gray here on. So we did this report, sorry, this is a lot, I'm talking a lot. Uh, we did this report um, at the end of the year, it's reflective of 2020 data. And what it does is it shows us this footprint here and to the degree of GDP. So what's Bruce Power's contribution to the gross domestic product in Ontario. And so I'll just start to throw out some data and I'll actually make sure that I share some slides that you could attach maybe so listeners can look at the data. Um, but what we see coming out of Bruce Power direct indirect and induced is $4.03 billion contributed to the provincial GDP. And to give you a little bit of a comparison, we're almost right up uh, matching the entire motion and video production sector in Ontario, which is at 4.5 billion. So, you know, I share that, that, um, that comparable because it, it really is incredible, the economic impact of Bruce Power, direct and indirect. So maybe I'll just pause there and ask if if this is making sense or if you need me yeah. to take a breath. Well, it doesn't make any sense. I, I'm not <laughs> an economist, but you, the, the comparisons are important. Con context is important because if you just said, oh, it's $4 billion, well, I, I don't know what to do with that. But telling the story about how it compares with other sectors or, and this is where I'd like you to, to be led, is like locally, you know, do we benefit from that four billion, or is Bruce Power sort of they get everyone in Ontario shares equally in that four billion? Yeah, yeah, no, it, great question, and and yes, I appreciate the the comparisons too, right? Um, just to kind of agree with your point on that. Yeah, so that over four billion bucks, like that's a provincial contribution. An interesting stat that we did see that means something close to home is $1.43 billion household spending is happening right here in Bruce Gray Huron. And that 1.43 billion is coming from the clean energy sector. So this is income that comes into our area from the clean energy sector, direct and indirect. So Bruce Power, their suppliers, um, they make money, they spend that money in this area. $1.43 billion. And when we break that down, and this is, the, this is some really interesting statistics for developers, for people who are considering investing, uh, for economic development people who are out talking about why you might want to um, become an entrepreneur in their community, household spending, that $1.43 billion, $56 million in 2020. So keep in 2020, which was, you know, weird year, welcome, COVID-19 in March. Uh, in 2020, 
we still managed to spend $56 million on restaurants. And that's during the pandemic. So, you know, again, what a time to be a restaurant owner and what generosity we did see in our communities when we said support local people did. Uh, $71 million spent on retail clothing and accessories. 16 million, this one always gets me, 16 million spent on household pets. This is in one year. In these three counties, we managed to spend 16 million on our pets. So that's not, this isn't agriculture animals. This is our, like our, you know, I joke that these are the gerbils, right? I don't know if anyone has gerbils anymore, but you know, your cats, your dogs, your, your gerbils, your goldfish, you buy your things, your dog food, your treats. Um, so I, I'll stop there. Is, do you have a gerbil? Had, no, but we have a oh. new pets, pet food store here in town, right? Yeah. Pet supply store. Totally. To me, I can't directly make the link, but rather than having all these pet owners say drive outside the region, they set up a shop right here in town, right inside yeah. the stores. Super smart. And I mean, it's interesting, Jay, that you use that example, because I, I drive by that every day and I look and I go, oh, really? Pet store. Okay. We should, and ask, that's we should ask that owner operator, did they come here because of what, what they saw? I guess I would assume they did, but let's, you know, it's nice yeah. to have that confirmation. So. Well, and I mean, you know, Heather agrees with me on the, the whole economic development piece. When you start to share this data as an economic development professional and you're attracting entrepreneurs and you share this data about growth and growth projections and income levels and, and household spending habits. And suddenly you go, geez, it's a great time to have a pet store. So anyway, that's one that I find really fascinating. Um, let me just go back to my, my data here. 12 million bucks uh, was spent on dental and eye care services. Now that excludes the amount covered by insurance. So, you know, again, your, um, your dentist, your optometrist, um, these professional services people are looking for spending money on. So that's just a few. Um, I will attach again, like I said, you know, this data, but then there's a, there's a long barter graph that talks about telephone and internet. It talks about furniture. Um, I'll just throw out this last one because this, I contributed to some of this around RV purchases and services, $12.7 million in 2020 and our family was one of those families that said hey let's get an rv that's not a humble brag what is that that's just a brag you have a rv oh now. yeah we have rv it's exciting yeah. no we did the same we uh, i don't work at in the industry but i you know that was an expenditure we had so i think it, to me it, it's it's not necessarily directly related to the report but they're almost sort of these are things we reflect on now because of yeah. the information that's presented it's sort of interesting that it's not just and it, I'd like to see further comparisons. So if there's a suggestion mm -hmm. for when you do this again, I imagine you wouldn't yeah. do it once, you want to do it over many years, is how does that change over time? How does that compare to other regions spending of money? Because I imagine it's different. You know, we have four billion in the film industry. Do they spend their money in the same way? Maybe not. I don't know. So yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's interesting. And and that is something that we will plan on doing is, is having this baseline data 2020. It will be really interesting to compare it, especially as we hopefully, fingers crossed, as we may move out of this pandemic um, and we may see spending habits change. You know, we may begin seeing more international travel for vacations. Maybe, maybe not the RVs, but Jay, we're, we're set. We've got our RVs. So <laughs> no, I just need a campsite. <laughs> 
I think it'll be really interesting too to compare that data year over year. As you mentioned, there are a lot of surprises in there of things that you wouldn't think of. And as economic developers, we're always really interested in the data because we know that it really does help move the needle for people who are looking to invest. And and that's kind of how they base their decisions on what does the data show for that particular community? Why should I invest there? Well, this is why you should open up a pet store because... (laughs) Yeah. The numbers, exactly. you know, tell the story of how much that sector has grown, um, yeah. even in 2020. And, and I like the comparable too with the, you know, the movie industry. And I think too, when we think about that, the marketing around that industry is pretty heavy and, and it's pretty easy to see, you know, things that have been shot, you know, in Cambridge, in Toronto, across Ontario. Um, you see the credits roll and in the companies that are Canadian contributing. It's harder to see the impacts of nuclear unless mm-hmm. you're in the industry, unless you're in a community that's heavily nuclear. Um there's not a lot of exposure. So having reports like this really helps tell the story across the province and not just in those communities that are heavily um, invested in nuclear. And I think that's so important. Yeah, yeah, I totally, totally agree. And that's such an interesting point, Heather. The the nuclear industry does a really good job at talking to nuclear fellows and friends about how good nuclear is. And hasn't always done, you know, that more broad outreach to talk to other parts of the province, to talk to kids in other areas about clean energy and, you know, the fact that net zero needs nuclear. Um, Actually, I'll just share too that I shared with my 10 year old son, he was learning about clean energy and he was asking me some questions and that's great using grade five. And I said, Hey, go to gridwatch.ca and it'll take you to the Ontario grid and it's live time to show you where our power is coming from. And I think Jay's typing right now. He's probably checking it out. Go to Gridwatch. It it is so fascinating to see that high nuclear load that's that's filling our grid. So that when I turn my lamp on on my desk, it just came on. I plug my charger, plug my phone in later. It's just going to charge. And that power's got to come from somewhere. And uh, the day that my son opened Gridwatch, he went, whoa, 60% is nuclear. I said, yeah, yeah, man, right? Like we got to talk about this. Net zero needs nuclear. And so anyway, I, I sh- I'll share that link with, with you as well. Um, but it's, um, it's a really fascinating time. There's economic opportunity in the nuclear sector. As I just shared, um, it's important we tell this story far and wide. We have to keep talking about clean energy and what that means for our planet because we we have work to do uh, to save this planet and to make it a, a safe, good place for our children and our grandchildren. So does that mean next steps are to partner with the movie industry in Ontario and create an unstoppable force of, <laughs> I'm stealing this idea from Jay in our free conversation, but an unstoppable force of nuclear and movie industry wow. combined in Ontario. That's the future. <laughs> What a GDP. You've heard it here first. You heard it here on the short report. Heather Hyde gets the credit on that one. Um, yeah, actually, can I am going to add one more comment on some data because, you know, good luck getting me off the, the data conversation. Um, I won't even get into the census data today because how thrilling is that? Um, We've been but, waiting five long years. Five oh long goodness. years. Isn't it exciting? It's an exciting industry, time. Industry clusters in Ontario. So this is a fascinating piece too. And you'll see a slide in the deck attached around clusters. And I share this one because, you know, when we think of um, 
uh, Waterloo is a great example. And I spent some time in my career in Waterloo in the tech sector. Think about Waterloo, the tech sector, you think software. When you think about Ottawa, you know, you probably think about Parliament Hill, you think about federal um, sector, like those employee employer opportunities or, you know, where people are working, how people are making their money. And so when we think about industry clusters, um, you'll see in the in the slide deck attached that there's Sudbury and mining and quarrying is the only industry in a community that density of employment in that populated area that cluster is the only cluster that sits above Bruce Gray and Huron with our clean energy production. And then below, um, you'll see Ottawa with the federal government, Windsor with transportation equipment manufacturing, Waterloo, Kingston, Niagara, and, and so on. So it's just an interesting point to say, yes, we know there's lots of jobs here, direct and indirect connected to Bruce Power and clean energy production. But this is a data point that says, Absolutely. This is a real industry cluster. Now, the other side of this, we know, and Heather, of course, as economic development, we think about economic drivers, diversification is incredibly important. We know that uh, locally here in Bruce County, anyway, we see nuclear, we see agriculture, we see tourism. Those are the economic drivers in this region. And so to see this, this density, this industry cluster around clean energy, it's very exciting, but we have to not lose sight of the fact that diversification is important. So we are, my colleague Chad is working uh, with the new nuclear net zero partnership program. He's doing some work with the agriculture community, which is really exciting. Um, we're also driving some work um, on electric vehicles, no pun intended. Did you guys catch that? I just, I didn't mean that one, that dropped in. Uh, electric vehicles, we're driving that work forward, um, but we're, we're moving it forward because we want to talk about tourism and how- Don't we acknowledge can... puns, by the way. I know, I, I had to. Yeah. I had to with that one. Sorry. Don't um, credit, no credit. <laughs> <laughs> but the electric vehicle, like in 2035, you will only be able to buy a new car that's an electric vehicle. And like, it's 2022, right? We, we got to get moving here. We need to make sure we have the infrastructure in place so that our tourism economy remains strong so that people can come up, plug their car in, enjoy their stay, because that is an economic driver. So I just wanted to, again, make that point that yes, we have this industry cluster. Yes, it provides an incredible economic opportunity. But there's other economic drivers that we must continue to maintain and support as well. What a great message of, you know, there's hope for the future. Good things are coming. We, need, we really need that <laughs> these days. And, and I'm glad that that report has, has highlighted some of these conversations that have been happening behind the scenes for years. I know none of this is really new, but it just feels like it's all coming to the forefront really fast and moving really fast. And it's really great to see. Yeah, it's exciting. Jay, do you have any closing words before we let Jessica get back to her day? No, I don't. I mean, it, leave on the message of hope. I could only make it go down. So this is good. <laughs> Thank you for joining joining us. All right, uh, we'll take the mic again. away from you now. Yeah, then. All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was really great to chat with you. I hope that you're both doing well, and I'm I'm really happy to share this this insight with you. So yeah, reach Jessica, out at any point. Always a pleasure to have you. Good luck with all of your continued great work, and I'm sure we'll be chatting with you again soon. You bet. Thanks, guys.